The legal views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute or contain legal advice. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. I am joined by my co-host, Dave. How's it going, Dave? Everything's going good, buddy. How's it uh, going? Wow, I'm distracted. That's funny. I, You're I completely... four seconds in, and you came off the rails. Well, because you just said I'm look, I am I got to look at my notes, and all of a sudden I heard the music play. Like, wait, is he starting the show, or is he doing, like, he's testing the equipment? I just had to pull my notes up. Yeah, but usually, like, you, you give a cue in or something... Are we recording the show right now? Yeah. Oh, this is happening. That's right. This is going out live to you and me. Basically, yeah. I mean, do you want, do you want to start over again? I'll totally edit this out. Wink. <laughs> That's okay. You know, we're, we're podcasts. Podcasts don't edit. They shouldn't edit. This is a pure. This is a pure form of art. We're artists. That's right. We're so, so we're so much artists artists out there that we're we're standing in solidarity with you that we make no money. That's <laughs> yes, indeed. So I found a couple funny things online. Can I just run them by you real quick? Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah, just, so I, I read somewhere that your rap name is the last thing you ate with Lil in front of it. So what was the last thing you ate this morning? Well, this morning, nothing. Lil nothing. That's actually pretty good. I haven't. So, but you said it was the last thing you ate. So it has to be oh, from yeah. the, the previous so, meal. So yeah, from, from the previous meal. So dinner. So uh, Lil Chicken Caesar Salad? I mean, Lil Chicken. It was, it was a chicken, the Caesar Salad with the chicken stickers for Flanagan's. Little chicken Caesar salad with the chicken stickers from Flanagan's. Dot com. <laughs> I'm Little Biscuit. Really? Yes, that's pretty. I had a biscuit this morning for breakfast. That's pretty good, right? You just had a biscuit for breakfast? Yeah. I mean, wait, it, what? It had eggs in it. Oh. Did you have a McDonald's sandwich or something? No, we have the, the Jimmy Dean ones in the free- freezer. Oh. Really? Okay. Was I, it, wait, was it was that judgment, Mister? I ate nothing for breakfast this morning. I, you know, I, I mean, I, no, I remember having the Jimmy Dean stuff back when I was a kid in elementary school. But I think feel like they changed the formula one day, and it didn't never tasted the same or tasted right to me. Also, it's extraordinarily greasy and definitely probably not great for you. Which brings me to our first ever podcast sponsor, sponsor? Jimmy Dean. No. <laughs> oh, all right. It's nice that uh, Willard White is seen fit to uh, sponsor the show. What? Oh, that was a Diamonds Are Forever reference, you know, where Jimmy Dean played uh, Las Vegas, like, hotel, like, uh, sort of industrialist magnate, Willard White. Willard White speaking. It's like, Baja? I ain't got anything in Baja. What's happening? It's Jimmy Dean. It's the Jimmy Dean comedy ally. So, (laughs) didn't we have a conversation about updating your references? Live from the Sands Casino in 1971. Everyone's favorite, Jimmy Dean. So you got me a Christmas present. Yeah, I know I did. I know. Finally, it's here, and I love it. Love it. Love it. You got me a Captain Picard Funko Pop. Yep, and look behind it. There's a Jimmy Dean uh, biscuit. There is not. Oh, my God. If there was, that would be awesome. I would just be, I'd be just warfing that down right now. Um, no pun intended. So ah. check. Yeah. Um, but this yep. is, I will treasure this. Thank you so much for and this fantastic And if you look care- carefully, yep. are you familiar with Patrick Stewart's signature? Yeah. If you look carefully on the box, it is not there. <laughs> you jerk. <laughs> um, 
But in a way, it makes it more valuable because no one wrote on it or ruined it. <laughs> Welcome to the Break the Business podcast, everybody. You can reach out to us by emailing us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. Hey, breakthebusiness at gmail.com. Go. Is this going to be a thing for each thing? That I'm, I'm, I'm going to announce something. And I don't know. These things happen you can organically. follow me on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R. Hey, at Ryan K-A-I-R. All right. Ryan cares. We did that joke uh, like a year ago. About five or six times. Where, Actually, can they, we where can they follow you on Twitter so you can't like echo yourself? They can follow me at Metal Dave 85, at Metal Dave 85. That name again is at Metal Dave 85. Are we trying like a repetition thing? Like if, you, if you're thinking if you say things multiple times, it'll stick in the listener's head better? Head better? You can. <laughs> and so begins David's weekly exercise of throwing me off my game while I try to give important information about the podcast. You can like us, rate us, and review us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. You jerk. You're not going to do it that time just because you know I'm waiting for it. Um, also, next weekend. Yes. I'm going to be giving that talk at NAM about uh, record contracts in uh, 2017. All right. So if you're going to be in the Anaheim area, maybe you're going to the NAM conference, come see me. Come say hi. I definitely want to hear from yes. you. Can I confess something? About going to Anaheim? Yes, go ahead. I have not written a single thing in my presentation yet. Oh, shit. I am like, it's gone from I'll get around to it to I'll get around to it to oh my God, I'm running out of time. And this what is, am I going to do? And this is your talk. This is not a panel. Correct. I you have to, are, it's Ryan Carella, star of the symposium. I have to hold the floor for the entire time. I don't, what, I have, I've rehearsed nothing. I have planned nothing. What's your time? What's, what's your stage time? It's like an hour. So you've hour allotted. Obviously, you're not going to do the full hour. You're going to open it up for questions. Can, oh, ooh, can I do that? Can yeah, I, like, you did, can like you did at the author of the books and books. Can, well, but can I just say, look, you don't want to hear from me. You want to get your questions answered. Let's just open this up. 60-minute Q&A session. Can I do that? No, because then if, you know, no one says anything, if the cricket's going, the... <laughs> I can't do crickets. I thought you nailed it. <laughs> I should have practiced. Anyway. That's um, true. That'd be really bad if just nobody has questions. Yeah, so would it make you feel better if you did that and then no one showed up? Like, would you feel better or worse if you're like, wow, I, for whatever reason, I have not prepared anything. I have really, you know, just gone south here. I'll open up for a 60 minute Q&A and there's no one in the, in the hall. Then you're like, oh, OK, I don't have to worry about this then anymore. But then you're like, wait, no one wanted to hear me. I'm actually really worried about that. Not because I don't think the topic is good. Because, you know, you know there are going to be a lot of artists at this thing. They're going to want to find out about record contracts and all that stuff. But my fear is that they stuck my talk towards the end of the conference. It's Sunday evening. Yeah. And or so Sunday afternoon. All, you know, so a lot of the folks are going to be already on planes, getting ready for the airport. And so I'm afraid that by the time I do my talk, nobody's going to show yeah. up. Plus probably you're going to have a lot of big names that aren't going to be there to support you because they're going to be playing the inauguration. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> No, I it, so topical. Yeah, topical. <laughs> All right, but yeah, I, just okay. Write something. Do you want? Do you just want to spend this next hour just spitballing? Just spitballing stuff. Yeah. Well, because I'm not sure what tack I want to take. What's it called again? Why you negotiating a recording agreement in 2017? Some crap like that. Here's the thing. Like as I've said on this podcast before, I don't want to actually give that talk because I don't think record contracts are a good thing. But I did sort of tell them I would give that talk because if I told them the real talk I wanted to give, which is record contracts, blah, run, 
they probably wouldn't give me a speaking slot. So like, do I, do I play the party line? Like, do I give them the talk they want to hear or do I give the talk I really want to give, which is record contracts, blah, run. So basically you have to make a choice like Lisa did when does she tell the town of Springfield about Jedediah Springfield that tell the truth about him being a pirate, or does she like let everyone think he's still really, really great? That's right. After Donald Sutherland helping her find out that he was like that pirate guy that fought George Washington. That was Donald Sutherland in that episode. Yes. Wow, good memory. With he had the silver tongue in there. Nobody knows what we're talking about. But if they do, they should know they'll know yeah, that's a remember, great Simpsons episode. Lisa did say, I just wanted to say that Jedediah Springfield was great. Great. Really great. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I don't know what to do here. Maybe you l- let people live with the fact that they love record contracts and, you know, let them have the record company in their hearts live on forever. You're still doing the Simpsons thing. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I got to think about it because I want to be true to myself. Damn it. Shoot. Maybe we should have like done a thing where I like we'd write a sketch and I come on stage and like upstand uh, upstage you as records, you know, record company fat cat. I think I am going to get a lot of that. If there are people at the conference who know me from the podcast, they're going to say, where's Dave? That Dave is funny. If is one, Dave going to come in and tell some jokes? If one person says that to you, please report back to me. I will do. I'll be sure to do that. Um, so anyway, but that's, that's next week. I have a whole week to figure that out. Yeah. yeah you said time. that like, you know, a month. Two I know. Ago. Shut up. Shut up. I'm already freaking out. Our guest in the next segment. I'm not freaking out about this. I'm excited to talk to her. Uh, Dr. Portia Saban, the president of kill rock stars, indie record label, it's going to give us some great insight about uh, you know, the future of the music industry, how to make it in the business. She's been in the game for a long time. She's worked with a ton of artists. Should be super insightful. I'm excited to talk to cool. her. And she is indeed Dr. Portia Zabin, So Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, about that. Yeah. What have you done with your life? Uh, I went to law school, unfortunately. Yeah. So And you made the same mistake, too. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of law school... Why did you judge me? You killed innocent people. The means to an end. You started a massacre. I caused the revolution. You betrayed the law. Got some legal news this week. I feel like that was your best transition ever on this show. Which doesn't say much about our transitions, but yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you. From The Hollywood Reporter, MGM has settled a proposed class action lawsuit involving unpaid internships it has conducted at its studio. The studio will have to pay as much as $232,000 to the plaintiffs in the suit. The lead plaintiff, Plain Playment. Did Is I? That you claimant and plaintiff. I think that's what happened there. Plaintiff. <laughs> oh. They should do that in the law. Like, if you have a plaintiff who is also claiming, like, a claim of some kind, they should call that a, a claim. I, not, I can't even do the word now. Wow. Well, see, if you, if you claimant would, is what that'd I would. be great if a judge, if you said that, in, like, in a courtroom, like, the claimant, you're like, <laughs> all right, everyone. That was funny, Gordon Homer. Case dismissed now because, you know. <laughs> and, and you're disbarred. Yeah. The lead plaintiff, Kimmy Gupta, was assigned entry level work as part of the unpaid internship, including maintaining records and television programs. And I thought this story was interesting, Dave, because many artists want to get their start in the business by Mm -hmm. working for one of these big companies. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm going to get my foot in the door by working at a movie studio or a label or a TV network. Exactly, yeah. Internships are a big, big thing. Sure. And But as many of these artists know, because there's so many people who want to get their foot in the door this way, these companies can basically pay nothing if they wanted to. And Mm -hmm. there'd be plenty of people lining up for these jobs And so what they'll do is to get around those pesky minimum wage laws and mandatory benefits laws and things like that. They'll call what you're doing for them an internship Mm -hmm. and, you know, say, oh, now we don't have to pay you minimum wage laws. But 
The thing is, they can't really do that. Um, it's illegal mm-hmm. and it's ex- it's exploitation. And so if you're one of these artists, just make sure you know what your rights are. Um, the, and, and keep in mind, it's going to get a little weird because the laws are differing so much from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. So yeah. it used to be that the Department of Labor has put out about a six-factor test to sort of tell you what the difference is between an internship and something that they have to pay you for. Right. And basically it came down to things like, is it an educational experience or are you doing real work? Are you, is it, are you adding to that company's workforce or are you actually replacing somebody's job? And if you're in the latter category, then you're an employee and they have to pay you. Mm -hmm. They can't just, you can't just hire somebody, call them an intern, pay them nothing, and then just have them answering phones all day. Right. And, and unfortunately there's probably in the offices of many of these big content companies, there's probably many aspiring artists doing just that right now. But there are some courts, including the Second Circuit, who are abandoning the six-factor test and basically using a much simpler but ultimately less employee-favorable uh, primary beneficiary test, where they're saying, okay, who's primarily benefiting from this relationship? Hmm. Is it the intern or is it the employer? So is the employer essentially just getting another employee or is the intern getting a real legitimate educational experience? Are they getting course credit? Um, or are they just answering phones and getting coffee? And if you're in states like California, which is where this MGM case was, um, there are actually a whole bunch of extra protections for workers. And so you have much less of a chance of getting exploited as a unpaid intern if you are in a state like California. But basically, you know, ask yourself, if you're in one of these situations as an intern, are you getting course credit? Are you getting legit educated? Or are you just another employee at this company? Are you getting coffee? Are you answering phones? And uh, are you doing something that somebody else would otherwise be getting paid to do if you weren't there? Hmm. Um, so yeah, watch yourself and don't get exploited, yeah. artists. I feel like the answer to that is they're not getting course credit. Yeah, usually not. Yeah. Same thing with uh, law students. Oh, with clinics and stuff. Yeah. Well, well, clinic or well you got course credit. like Clerkship, you know. some type stuff. You know, with certain firms, people take advantage. I mean, oh, it's, yeah. it's across, it's across well, the it, whole spectrum. It for just, I mean, it's really something that millennials are getting hit with. I mean, it's, this didn't, I feel like this didn't happen to the older generations. This is something that's kind of new to people that are our age and younger. Is just the idea that you're, you do not deserve a job until you work for free for two or three years. Yeah. Under the guise of an internship. Exactly. Are you hearing this, Keith? I still didn't get that freaking coffee. <laughs> Our intern, Keith, everyone. Just useless. Get back in the cage, Keith! <laughs> Wait, don't don't mention the cage. Oh, sorry. Get back in the palatial mansion that we Just gave get back, you. Get, no, get back in the place where you're earning course credit, all right? For <laughs> uh, your class on um, exploitation. You know what's funny is like there are so many people that want to get their foot foot in the door in the business. I bet if it wasn't illegal, we could totally get some student to be an intern for this podcast just because they want to do something entertainment related. Oh, I would abuse the privileges. <laughs> and that's why we need the laws to protect them from people like you. Dry cleaning. Def- <laughs> I, I, I get why having someone get, do, get go out with your dry cleaning and get it is really... It, saves a lot of time Mm -hmm. and it's not you know you don't have to worry about the hassle of like you know oh i got to get there first thing in the morning or like do i have to leave work early to get it because you know if you get out before usually the place closes like at six you know so this is you've given me a good idea we should have you know like kramer did have his intern at kramerica 
How many 20-year-old sitcom references are you going to make today? Well, I mean, at least it's The Simpsons and Seinfeld. People have seen them. I know, and at least it's not that Diamonds Are Forever reference that you trotted out at the beginning of the show. Like, granted, we are getting a little closer to present day. That's good. No, that was a good one. We're going to get a lot of traffic from that. (laughs) I'm already waiting for the emails to come in. Yeah. Nice. Live. Nice Diamonds Are Forever ref, bro. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. Watch yourself, artists. Don't get exploited. Don't let yourself get exploited just to try to get your foot in in the door in the biz. And know your rights. All right. Uh Uh-huh. You remember Danielle ate the sandwich? I do. From our 50th episode. Uh, She was awesome. We adored her. Um, She's, you know, ukulele artist who I always have a soft spot for. Whenever we get somebody on who plays the uke, because, you know, I'm a big uke guy. Yeah, you fancy yourself a ukulele player. You think... You and I are both, I think... uh, Are we having strokes simultaneously? Planant? What did I call it? Uh, No, you call it a planant. Planant, yeah. Yeah. Wow. We're bad today. Yeah, but I mean, thank <laughs> God it's not an audio medium. That's, That's the right. only thing that works or gets translated to the audience is audio form. <laughs> we can't all of a sudden start doing pantomime podcasting. That'd be fun. Pantacast. But yeah, I love the uke players that we've had on this show. Mandy Harvey a few weeks ago, love her. Daniel Ate the Sandwich is great. And Daniel Ate the Sandwich is doing something very cool right now as we speak. Oh, okay. And I want to give some pub to it, okay. even though by the time this comes out, it's going to have already happened. But Oh, so great would, timing on your part. Well, I, well, but look, we do this once every week. What are we going to do? Okay. But I do want to, I want to see if we can get her on to talk about this, because this is cool, all right? So some of the things that we've talked about on this podcast that are good for indie artists to embrace. Mm-hmm. Um, one is hyper-creation. You know, make, taking advantage of the fact that since you're not signed to a record contract that's going to tell you when you have to create... Create as much as you want, whenever you want. Somebody like Jonathan Mann, who creates a new song every day, or J.P. Kalia, who writes a new song every week, mm-hmm. you know, create as much as you can because your fans' appetite for content is insatiable. Or letting the audience watch your creative process, letting people see how you make your art, or even letting them have input and interact with you as you create so that people can feel closer to you as an artist. Embracing video, mm-hmm. including live video, Periscope, Facebook Live, and most importantly, embracing crowdfunding using platforms like Patreon and Kickstarter to fund your career so that you don't need to depend on one of these big content creators that's going to exploit mm-hmm. you. Here is somebody, Daniel Ate the Sandwich, who's doing all these things at the same time. Right now, Dave, right as now. we're recording this episode, January Daniel... 15th. January 15th. Yes. Is that right? Yes. Oh my God, what's ha- this whole week is... This whole month is going by so fast. Yes. As we're recording this episode, our dear friend Danielle Ate the Sandwich is writing, producing, and recording an entire album of songs in 24 hours. Wow. Serious hyper-creation. And she's going to let her fans watch her throughout the whole process via Google Live Hangout video. So you can watch her make the album as it's happening. Okay. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Yeah, you can just tune in. She's going to have five different live stream so like she'll mm-hmm. let you come in during various parts of the creating process and you can watch her kind of make a whole album from scratch so it's not like she's going to bring a bunch of songs that she's already written and record them okay like zero to album in one day interesting is, is it called how uh, danielle made the sandwich i feel like it should be yeah hang on there okay. you go um or, or oh oh my god making the sandwich i feel like that was Kind of along the lines of what I said. But. Well, I know, but like making the video or making the band, making the sandwich. Keith, whose side are you on here? Let me out. Choose carefully, Keith. Let me out of the cage. Get back in your cage, Keith. All right. 
So other cool things that she's doing with this project is in, in the idea of allowing audience input, she's created a special hashtag where her fans can make suggestions. Oh, write a song about this. Use this chord progression. Uh, can you make a happy song, a sad song? So the fans actually get to be part of the process, which is a great thing about this new music industry and the increased communication that comes from social mm -hmm. media. And um, she, to access the feed, and here's the kicker, you need to be one of her patrons on her Patreon account. Ah. So, so not only is she going to monetize this album once it gets made, she's monetizing the album creation process. Nice. And creating new patrons for herself because once you get those patrons who are like, oh, that's interesting what she's doing. I want to watch her make this album. Boom, you now have these patrons who are going to keep donating to you month after month. Have you at least put it out there on your Twitter that she's doing this right now? Oh, oh for sure. Okay. And I do want to get her to uh, come on and talk to us about this because I think it's really, really cool. And there's a lot you can learn from this experience. So artists, if you're listening, go just read up on what Danielle Ate the Sandwich is doing. You're going to get a lot of good ideas from it. And it goes back to something we talk about on this podcast. Don't feel like you have to do the stuff that came before you in the old music industry. Don't feel like you have to just make an album, spend a year making it, put it out, and then wait like another two years to make an album. There are no rules. Mm -hmm. You know, find what works for you. And what worked for Danielle is I'm going to make an album in 24 hours and build a whole campaign around it. Exactly, you know? yeah. No rules, just right. Thank, our, thank you, our newest sponsor, Outback Steakhouse. Are they still called No Rules Just Right? Is that still something? Oh, do? I don't know. I haven't stepped foot in one in many years. Oh, the Bloomin' Onions are so good. I haven't had one in many years. Really? Yeah. I feel like we're both missing out. I feel like we should get a Bloomin' Onion. Do you not like Bloomin' Onions? Yeah, it's, I mean, I like, I like onion rings, so. Onion, good. Fried, good. Fried onion, awesome. Okay. That, okay, maybe we should. Keith, <laughs> bring back a Bloomin' Onion. I don't, I don't care that it's 10.43 in the morning on a Sunday and they're not open. Get a damn blue and onion, Keith. You want that course credit? <laughs> Dr. Portia Sabin up next on the Break the Business podcast. Ryan here from the podcast. Shameless plug time, my new book, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry, is now available in paperback and an ebook. The book talks about how you can be your own boss in your music career and take control of your content creation, promotion, distribution, and fundraising. Get your copy on Amazon by searching Break the Business. It's a nice read for musicians and the people who love them. That's Break the Business, declaring your independence and achieving true success in the music industry. Thanks very much for your support. Welcome back to the Break the Business Podcast. She is a musician, music executive, and radio host from Portland, Oregon. She is the president of the acclaimed indie label Kill Rockstars and the host of the radio program The Future of What, which features interviews with music professionals and explores current trends in the music industry. You can find out more about Kill Rockstars and The Future of What by visiting killrockstars.com, and you can find our guest on Twitter at Dr. Porkchop. Ladies and gentlemen, Portia Sabin is on the Break the Business Podcast. Podcast. Portia, thank you so much for joining us. Now, I have I feel compelled to ask this first question right out the gate. And I want to bring this up because it's awesome. In addition to being a kick-ass music mogul and a friend of the artist, you also have a PhD from Columbia University. That's pretty damn impressive. So what is the protocol? And I ask this sincerely. Would you prefer that I call you doctor or is Portia okay? 
Well, you know, I love being called doctor. Well, so that's always a positive. Well, and, and here's why I ask. Uh, I'm only compelled to ask this because my wife recently finished her Ph.D. Ooh. And I have been the, the doting Ph.D. husband over the last four years. I have seen her climb that academia mountain and I know how tough it is. And now I kind of want everybody around her to call her doctor because I know how tough it is and I know what an achievement it is. And so I wanted, of course, to extend you the same courtesy. Thank you. Well, feel free. Oh. Everybody can call me doctor. I, you, I agree completely. It's a tough, it's a tough thing to do. And so it's nice when you get acknowledgement for it. Of course. I mean, as a, as a lawyer, um, having what I like to call the fake doctorate, um, <laughs> I had, you know, what, what I have gone through educationally is nothing compared to the slaying that dreaded monster that is the dissertation. Oh, um, yeah. so Don't me. well, well, let me ask this first, uh, Dr. Saban, I'm curious because I, I don't think I've had a PhD on before. How has your work in academia integrated at all with your career in music? Do you consider them separate areas of your life, or do you find yourself actually using your doctorate in the music biz? Well, I think I use my doctorate um, all the time, every day, because it's really I was looking at American culture, and so I think about American culture all the time. And and you know, I wish I could say it had been more helpful in the music business. But like everything else, you know, even if you understand what you're looking at, it doesn't mean you can predict what's coming down the pike uh, with any accuracy. So, you know, I don't think it's helped me, you know, like figure out the trends or, or any of that good stuff that I wish it had done. But it does. It certainly makes my my thinking about my daily work more interesting. <laughs> I can imagine. And you must be a hit at cocktail parties. <laughs> Always. Oh, oh, I mean, I can't help but think that your academic background must help you create some of the great insights you have. You're one of my favorite voices in the industry, and you have some great insight about current trends in the business. And you can find much of that insight, listeners, on her radio show and podcast, The Future of What. There you go. Quick plug. Uh, I was just looking at an article in Billboard recently in which you've talked about the low streaming rates that are offered to artists by uh, streaming companies like Spotify. And this is something that my listeners are always telling me is a constant annoyance of theirs. And they always feel like they're not getting enough from these streaming companies. Uh, you, you see these stories all the time of some artists being like, my song's been played 30,000 times and I got four cents. <laughs> and you have written in the past that these low rates might actually be the, a consequence of things that the major labels are doing, which seems counterintuitive on the surface because the late, the major labels are conceivably representing artists and they have so much leverage because they have big catalogs. And so they would seem to have something to gain by streaming rates being higher. But so why would major labels in your view actually be one of the causes of Spotify's low streaming rates? And are things starting to change now that there's more money coming into streaming than ever before? Right. I think we have to look at this issue as, as something that's unfolded over time, because the article you're talking about, uh, it came out last summer, but it was actually from an interview with me that had happened 18 months before that. So it's almost, it's about two years old, a little bit more. And at the time I was concerned because the, the trend had been that, um, you know, what, what basically happened was the major labels did a deal with Spotify when Spotify came to the U S or rather Spotify did a deal with the majors, the three majors in which the majors received a bunch of money up front and advance. Um, and at the time, that money was non-recoupable to artists. So it was basically just straight up money for the company. And one can assume that, you know, the deal was that they negotiated a, a smaller per stream rate 
you know, because they got this large amount of advance money. Now they also got the, the majors also got a stake in the company, um, in Spotify in, in that deal. Now, fast forward down the road, first of all, and several things have happened. One is that, uh, the international advocacy organization, Merlin, it's a nonprofit that works with the independent labels. Merlin cut a deal with Spotify in which we got a similar situation for the Indies. We got some money up front. Um, so the Indies are, you know, got a little piece of that action eventually. So the indie labels were able to sort of band together and have somewhat of the leverage of a major label with Spotify. Exactly. I mean, that's sort of what's been happening in the last 10 years with A2IM, which is the Independent Label Trade Association in the U.S., and Merlin, uh, Win, which is the World Independent Network. There's a whole bunch of organizations that have popped up that have been really great for the indie label world. Um, and it's funny because, you know, I'll just as an aside, independent labels are uh, unsurprisingly very independent. And so <laughs> to have, to have a, an organization that's been able to attract and hold 400 independent labels, um, you know, I think the membership number right now is like around 392 or 401, something like that. Um, it's kind of awesome, you know, and it's definitely been a, a big boon to us because this is the time where we need a voice, you know, because there's only three majors left. So if the seat at the table, you know, getting us a seat at the table is a really big deal. So HYM has done a great job of that. But anyway, back to the, back to the, um, the, the topic. So whenever, you know, five years ago or whatever, whenever Spotify came to the U S I can understand from a major labels point of view, you know, cutting a deal like that made sense for them because they didn't know what, how, you know, how Spotify was going to play out. Nowadays, however, Spotify is really a, a major source of income for a lot of us. Um, depending on the types of artists you have on your label, Spotify is now generating more revenue. It's definitely out, it's, it's outpaced iTunes because of course downloads have dropped considerably in the last year. Um, but it's even, you know, outpaced in some situations, physical sales, you know, uh, depending on the artists, as I say, on your label. Um, and the major labels are seeing a lot of that. They're getting a ton, you know, millions and millions and hundreds of millions of plays. So the, the per stream rate is now an issue, I think, that we're going to have to revisit again because, you know, the contracts that were negotiated, I don't know how long they lasted for, but they're going to be renegotiated at some point. And I'm sure that per stream rate is going to come up next time as a big deal. Well, you can't, I can't help but be sort of critical of the major labels here. I mean, aside from the fact that by sort of guaranteeing themselves upfront income, they were cutting their artists out of potential money. But I mean, I also can't help but feel critical of them for just being short-sighted here. They didn't conceive of the possibility of streaming becoming a significant revenue stream, for lack of a better word. And now they're trying to, you know, create that revenue stream for themselves when really they should have been looking out for the back end from the beginning because they have artists that they're supposed to be representing. Am, am I off base here? Well, I mean, you know, Ryan, the thing about the major labels is, is we've allowed a situation in this country where there's only three majors left and all three majors to my knowledge are owned by foreign entities. So these are actually all huge multinational corporations owned by foreign entities that have their hands in all sorts of diversified pies. I mean, Sony is the most obvious one. They've got a movie studio, they've got an entire arm of technology, you know, where they make tons of stuff, gadgets, sure, <laughs> technology. And, and, you know, the music business is a tiny fraction of the holdings of these multinational corporations. 
they all have boards of shareholders that need to be appeased. And, you know, for anyone who's taken one economics class, you know that what matters to shareholders is whether returns went up this quarter over last quarter, and they don't give a crap about what's happening five years from now. And that's just not how that works. Um, so to some extent, even though a lot of times I'm shocked by what the major labels do, on the other <laughs> hand, if you think about what kind of businesses they actually are, it's not, it's not that shocking. I mean, this is America, right? We just elected Donald Trump. Like we're going to be surprised by business people acting like business people. <laughs> Fair point. Well, and perhaps that is to some extent, I mean, I can't help but see parallels here between what, ha- what you just described now with streaming and the short sightedness of the majors with what happened back in, say, 2000, when there was this emerging technology called the MP3 and music downloading was a thing, and the major labels clinged to the CD because it was making money for them at the time, and they weren't thinking about five years from now. It's kind of like the same movie playing over and over again. Well, my favorite story about that kind of behavior is... um... I wish I could remember which label did it, but one of the majors, I think when this, when there were more than three, this happened, um, when it, when the tide turned and the CD became massive. So, you know, in the late eighties, early nineties, and it was just absolutely the biggest thing. Um, they, this, this company had owned an LP pressing plant and they actually buried it in cement. What? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> this is someone told me this story and I was like, you cannot be serious. Like with all the pressing, pressing the presses and everything inside it, they just covered it and made a CD manufacturing plant on top of it <laughs> because they were so positive that the LP was so dead and would never return that they were like, it's not even worth our time to, you know, sell these machines. Let's just bury it and start over. Wow. And so then, you know, hipsters made vinyl famous. And now you see all these guys with their jackhammers trying to get back to the vinyl pressing plant. <laughs> I know. I want to know where those presses are. I'm like, we could use those. That's, that's got to be pretty sweet looking. Like it's all frozen in time and everything. I kind of <laughs> want to get in there now. Um, well, I'm now going to ask you to have a level of prescience that perhaps the major labels don't have and see if I can get you to kind of open your crystal ball a bit here. If I had to ask you to look 10 or 15 years down the road, what do you think are some of the major changes that are going to be happening in the music industry? And are you generally optimistic or pessimistic about where the business is going? Well, that's a good question. I would say that I am cautiously optimistic about where the, where the business is going. You know, it's, I was very pessimistic in the last, like, let's say eight years. Uh, I took over kill rock stars in 2006 and in 2008 and 2009, just the bottom fell out of the industry basically. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, wow, a tough time to be running a label. Yeah. And I thought, well, this is great. <laughs> awesome. Um, but <laughs> But, we, but the fact that the business has rebounded has kind of given me a little bit of confidence in a surprising way. You know, I feel like people love great music. People are always interested in great music. But the thing that's that's even more amazing and astonishing is all these new independent labels have popped up in the last 10 years that are putting out awesome records. And you're just like, what? Like, why? Like, you know, I, I say that to every young person that I meet who says they want to start a label. I'm like, why would you want to do that? That's crazy. But I've been, it's like, I feel like I've had my head turned now a little bit and people are like, oh, you know, I, I can kind of see it because the people have been successful. There've been tons of little labels that have popped up and had 
you know, huge successes with artists that came out of left field. And I think that just, just speaks to the fact that there's a market for, you know, these, these terrific artists that are not mainstream, they're not pop, they're never going to be on universal, they're never going to be, you know, for a, a commercial audience. Um, but that there's a massive audience who still wants to hear that music. So that's, to me, that's exciting. Well, and I, I can certainly appreciate anyone out there who wants to give a voice to the, and help out the artists who might be ignored by these larger major labels. That being said, uh, I, I, I want to ask this of the president of a, a record label, an independent one, but a label nonetheless, you're actually the first label head that I've had on this podcast. And as you might know, this podcast sort of has a healthy skepticism of record labels, be they major or independent. And as someone who's who works on the artist side as an entertainment lawyer, I've worked with a lot of artists who have been roughed up, who have been exploited by labels, many of them majors, to be fair. And I've reviewed a ton of horrendous record deals with bad, bad terms. And so I asked this of a label president. Am I wrong to be skeptical of labels? Am I wrong to even strongly discourage, as I do my clients, from pursuing record deals? Well, I think that's a two-part question. The, the first part is that, you know, every every label is different. There, there are sort of a couple of classes of label. I mean, majors are in a, a, a category unto themselves, but there are some large indies that operate like majors that would have a similar contract to majors. Um, Oftentimes we're talking about a percentage deal there. So that would, you know, you basically are supposed to get like, let's say 18% of the sale price of each album minus a laundry list of stuff that ends up. And then, you know, uh, recording costs are recoupable and like all this other stuff is recoupable. And and that's what tends to lead to artists not really making any money uh, other than the advance um, unless they sell, you know, 10 million records. The, in, the, the standard independent record label deal has for years been a profit share deal, which is a 50-50 deal, which means that the, the label pays all the costs up front. And then when the label recoups their costs, every dollar is bit split 50-50 after that. Every, you know, every piece of income is split 50-50 after that. And the downside to that model, which is the model that my record label has used for 25 years, is that we try necessarily to keep costs low, right? So if you if you sign to Kill Rock Stars, I'm probably going to give you like a three thousand to five thousand dollar recording budget. You're not getting a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar recording budget <laughs> from me. So there are a couple different models of of how people do business, and like I said, with uh, Kill Rock Stars, it's a profit share deal. The important thing to understand about that is that we don't make any money until the artist starts making money. So there's no point at which we are making money and the artist is not making money. The only thing that we are doing is recouping our investment prior to the artist and myself, you know, starting to make money. And I think that's an important point for artists to understand because, you know, there's this image of labels just sitting on these piles of cash going, ha ha ha, you know, we've got it and they don't have it. And, you know, I can't speak to majors because I don't run a major, but that's not how we do it. Um, it's, you know, you're not making money unless we're making money. And as a result, you know, I, I tend to keep pretty good track of how many of my acts have recouped. And right now I'm in a pretty good spot, but between 70 and 80% of the acts that I've signed in the last 10 years are recouped and are making money every quarter. So to me, that's really, really important because, uh, 
the ones that are not recouped are my failures, right? That's where I did a bad job of figuring out how much to spend, A, or B, which does happen. You know, this this job is kind of crazy because it's really about falling in love with bands. And sometimes you fall in love with a band and you just think, oh my God, I love them so much. There's no way that everyone else isn't going to love them just as much as I do. And you just spend too much money because you think it's a sure thing. You think everyone's going to love this and then everyone doesn't love it. And then you're in bad shape. And, you know, that's sort of a depressing, sad thing um, for everybody when that doesn't work out. I also think that that's, you know, there's, there's historically always tension between record labels and musicians for the simple reason that musicians always want the label to spend more money than they're currently spending. And so that is a a big source of problems. Um, even though, and you know, artists don't really understand that it's like, we're taking the risk, we're putting up the money. Um, and if, cause artists always think that they're fabulous, like that's the bottom line, which is great because as an artist, you have to think you're fabulous. That's how it works. But, um, but you know, it's like they get angry at us when, when, they don't do well. And it's depressing for me. That's like the worst part of my job because I'm like, don't you understand that I love you? Like everything I've done is because I love you, not because I'm trying to screw you, you know? And I feel like one of the reasons I started my podcast was to kind of get people to understand that, you know, this is not, uh, this is, you know, this is a, a, a business in which there are thousands of people engaged every day in trying to help artists have careers, not trying to screw artists. So I want, you know, I want people to understand that that's our job. So anyway, but this leads into the second part, which you asked about, um, which is do artists need labels? And ultimately the answer to that is an unequivocal yes. For the simple reason that, um, part of being a musician is, is running a business. Like every single musician, every single band, is running a small business and somebody has to be there to do the business part. Now there are a lot of people who've sprung up lately who provide label services. So, you know, if, do you need a label per se? Not necessarily, but you, you absolutely need somebody who's going to do the job of a label and a label can also do the job of a label. (laughs) Um, you know, that's, that's also an option. You know, the thing about labels is we've got years of experience doing this exact same, doing this exact thing. It's like, why should you have to reinvent the wheel? Why should you have to figure out how to try to, you know, make this happen when there are hundreds of labels out there who've done this for years and years and totally understand it. And we have the contacts, we have the experience, you know, we know what, um, you know, I, I had a fabulous experience in 2016 with a band that I signed, um, They were on their second album. They put out their own first album on their own record label that they had started. I really was impressed with their work ethic as well as their songs and their live show. And uh, they'd never been able to get a booking agent, but they'd gone on like six or seven tours on their own. And they were such a great band that I was like, you know something? I'm going to try to get them a booking agent. And I got them a booking agent with an email to somebody. And I was like, that hasn't happened in like seven years. It was so <laughs> exciting. And that's the hardest. I mean, everyone will tell you it's the hardest thing in the world to get a booking agent because they're just swamped. They're just overwhelmed. Everybody wants a booking agent. So that was like a really exciting moment because I was like, look at me. I did my job. Like I got them a booking agent because of my contacts. Yay. You know, it's like you want an example of what labels do? That's an example. 
but yeah, so, so it's a business. People have to understand it's a business and you have to treat it as a business, whether that means signing to a label or finding somebody to do that business for you. So here's my frustration. Why, why don't the major labels embrace a more kind of profit share model like the independent artists, like the independent labels do? I know that they are capable of it because I have worked with some big ticket artists who have gotten very sweetheart deals from major labels. I have even some that are reverse record deals where the artist owns the masters, the, all the money goes to the artist and then the artist pays the label a small royalty for all of the services they provide. So I know labels are capable of these kind of deals. Why are they so reluctant to make their terms more artist friendly? I have no idea, Ryan. <laughs> I really don't. I mean, that's the thing. I don't understand why major labels do what they do. Um, I can only make guesses at that. And one of my guesses is that, you know, being, being multinational corporations with lots of different arms that, I don't know, maybe the, the music arm is a write-off. Maybe it's, you know, they're trying to lose a certain amount of money every year. I don't know. <laughs> like, maybe that helps with their taxes or something. <laughs> I can't explain it. Because um, it's certainly not, you know, I always say when people talk to me about this, I say, you know, majors and indies are in the same business in name only. You know, they have a completely different business model and we're just not playing with the same set of rules. I got, okay. Um, that's, uh, that, that works for me. And, you know, I think I don't know is a perfectly legitimate answer because I also don't know. And I've been <laughs> around these folks for quite some time now, but it's always been a business, you know, these major labels, it's always been a business that's reluctant to change and moves at a glacier like pace to the changes affecting their industry. And to the credit of the indie labels, you guys are nimble and you can adapt you know, to things much more effectively. And, you know, you talk about the, you know, that you're only going to give an artist a few thousand dollars to record an album because you're much more cost conscious. But I think you're also aware of the fact that the changes in the industry are such where you don't need to drop 250 G's to make an album anymore. Thanks to advances in recording technology. Well, yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I always say that you have to you know, part of my, my constant harping on musicians understanding that they're business people too, is, is to try to get musicians to understand where they're at in their career, like what stage they're at in their career. And I think a really good example of this is the band, the Decemberists, because they're a Portland band. Oh, now you're that, speaking my language. <laughs> <laughs> we, we signed them in 2002. We put out, um, we reissued their first record, and then we put out two more records. Uh, they did fantastically well. They were selling 250,000 copies on an independent label, which, you know, a quarter of a million on an indie is really good. Uh, they were selling out thousand seat venues around the country. You know, this band was doing great. And when they're, you know, we had a three album deal with them. And when that was up, they went out and looked around and they ended up signing to Capitol. And, you know, I feel like that, was a move that made a lot of sense to me because I'm sure they got a really good advance and they were at that point in their career where they came into that with leverage, right? So, you know, quarter of a million sales, you know, thousand seat venues, that's leverage, right? They probably had, I'm sure their lawyer was very smart and got them a nice deal with a good advance. They also were at that point in their thirties 
ready to get married and have kids, you know, buy houses, settle down. And they did. And that's exactly what they did. And they've had, I think, a very fulfilling career um, on a major. And, And I think that that was the right move for them at the time. And I think that's what you kind of have to think about, you know, if you know, if you're a, if a brand new act just starting out, you have never put out a, a record and you've got 12 fans, including your mom, you are not ready for a major label deal. You know, not only are you not ready for it, but you'd be crazy you know, to even think about that. So I just feel like people really need to be aware of where they're at in their career. All right. Um, and I hope many of my clients just heard that just now. <laughs> um, do you, so, in closing, well, two things I want to ask you. First, because um, I know people are going to want to check out your your podcast and read some of your articles. Uh, so one more time, where can people find you to just get everything there is to know about uh, Dr. Portia Saban? <laughs> well, you can download The Future of What on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. You can find it at killrockstars.com slash the future of what. And you can find out more about me by Googling me. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. And do you have any final words of advice to the indie artist listeners out there? You've already given so much great advice and you've been so prescient about uh, where the industry is going, but I want to get one more tip from you. Do you have any final words of advice to the indie artist listeners out there to help them move their careers forward? Yeah. Um, really try hard to be realistic about what kind of band you are. Um, that I think is the biggest biggest challenge for every band that I've seen throughout my 20 years in the music industry. People either delude themselves and they think that there's something that they're not, or they're confused about, you know, what level they're at, what stage they're at. Um, because they have, you know, their best friend told them that they're the greatest band that ever existed. You know, you, there's a lot of hard work involved in being a band in being in the job of being a musician, a working musician. And it's not for everyone. And that's okay. You know, it's like if you actually turn out to be a hobbyist and all you're going to do is play with your band at the local bar once a month, that is totally okay. You don't have to feel guilty about that. But do know that that's actually what you are. At some level, you have to figure that out because, you know, when you go to labels and you say, here we are, we're going to be, you know, superstars and we're going to do this for the rest of our lives and people give you money you know, and then the first time you get on the road, you're like, oh my God, this is hard. I miss my girlfriend. The bit, the floor is so uncomfortable. I don't <laughs> want to do this. And you bail, you know, you got a lot of people on board and you got other people's money and other people's hopes and on your back. And that sucks for everybody. So, you know, be serious, be realistic, really understand what you're up to and understand that this is a job. It's a grind. Thank you. Thank you for giving them the hard truth. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Saban, it has been a pleasure having you on here. We'd love to have you on again real soon. Please don't be a stranger. Thank you, Ryan. It was a pleasure. Oh, awesome. And we will be right back on the Break the Business podcast. Friend of the show, John Ratzenberger here with Ryan Carella, author of Break the Business, declaring your independence and achieving true success in the music industry, available on Amazon.com. Ryan, tell the folks a little about the book. Well, the book's about empowering Well, artists. that's fascinating, Ryan, but it's only a 15-second commercial. Thanks. Welcome back, everybody. Our thanks to Dr. Portia Sabin for joining us in the previous segment. You can check out her podcast, The Future of What, and follow her on Twitter at Dr. Porkchop. 
See, I'm not afraid to have the label heads on every once in a while. Yeah, you know, no, fight it, was, it out a bit. Exactly, that was actually pretty interesting. And she has a podcast. She does. The future of what? Huh? Maybe I should switch sides. GoPro label. Yeah. Really? One conversation with a, a label head, and you're already going to abandon our cause. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, make it worth my while to stay. What are you offering? Double your salary. It's not going to work. Or quadruple it. It's not going to work. Do you think she's going to pay you more? Do you think she makes money off her podcast? I don't know. If she but, does, I might join her podcast. But hey, it's, it's called Leverage. Hello? You figure something out that, you know, you, you need something, and it, you play it off someone else. Keith, you should be totally taking notes on this. It's not going to work on us, because, you know, we're soulless people that have you an indentured servitude. I mean, internship, but, you know. <laughs> don't read any court cases that might have just come out involving NGM, Keith. Don't do it. Or the Constitution. Or the Constitution. Okay, so a quick note. I wanted to just drop in something here about something that's going on locally. Okay, cool. Yeah, so we have a resident here in Kendall, which is where we live. Uh huh. Um, his name is Yanatha de Sovre, and uh, he is he has an uncle, a late uncle named Daniel Collanges, who is a spectacular classical mm-hmm. guitarist. Uh, you know, there's some great old videos of him playing all these amazing songs, and he's he's just he's truly gifted this guy and so yanatha after losing his uncle back in 1989 at the age of 28 to hiv and aids complications um wants to sort of let the world know about how amazing his uncle was as a musician and so he has started this indiegogo campaign to have his uncle's recordings remastered if you you go to indiegogo just search daniel collages uh that's c-o-u-l-a-n-g-e-s Find the campaign on Indiegogo and uh, you know contribute to it, and you can see some videos of this guy playing guitar. And I think it'd just be a nice thing to do: support the music scene down here, and uh, you know maybe bring back some fantastic recordings. Don't let them get lost to time. So there oh, you yeah, go. Yeah, that's cool stuff. And you know, I'll, and of course, you know, let's make this easier for people. I'll put the link in the show description. <laughs> yeah, so that, the, yeah. You know, people that, don't have to search around. Exactly. That does make things easier. All right. So speaking of music. Uh-huh. Uh, Coachella's coming up in a couple months. Oh, that's right. That's the big festival out west in uh, Indio, California. Yes, sir. At and the, uh, uh, I think like the polo grounds out there or something, yeah. We should go. To Coachella? Yeah. We'll, we'll do a live remote from uh, Coachella, and you know we'll get contact high. It'll be great. So, although maybe we won't, because like all these festivals, the tickets are really hard to get. You know, always tough tickets with Coachella. Uh-huh. And but I think I have a way to get us in or get somebody in. Really? Because you, uh, there is a Craigslist posting according to uh, Daily Mail online. Okay. Oh, cool. We got a scalper. Yes. Sure. And so just you pay the price and that's and you move on. Oh no, it's even better than that. Oh god. This isn't somebody who's selling. This is somebody who wants to give you one of his tickets. He's got an extra ticket. Wants to bring somebody along. That's so nice. Yeah. No, it's great. And, and it's he, nice to know in this world with all the uh, crap we've been through in 2016, just normal folks just doing nice things for their fellow man that they're still fundamentally decent people out yes there. and so we want to sort of use this podcast as a megaphone to get his message out there because i bet there's a lot of listeners out there who want to go to coachella oh my god yeah and, and for free for free absolutely and uh, hang out with this cool guy named gordon dude how, how do we hang out with gordon i mean and it's just free there's like no catch or anything it's free well to be fair oh you know there are some conditions he's he's looking for a particular kind of person Oh, okay. And there's a he, he a put Coachella out a fan. Well, among those things, and so he put out a posting on Craigslist. A 56 year old guy named Gordon, 
who is uh, looking for a very specific travel companion to enjoy the festival with him. And to give you a bit of background on Gordon to see where he's coming from, he's recently divorced, um, and he has cashed out his 401k, sold everything, and is just, you know, from, from the, I'll just say from the Craigslist post, my life is all about having fun. No more team meetings, no more employee evaluations, no more balance sheets, no more conference calls at 7 a.m., just fun like that yeah he's just i kind of want to party with gordon right and so but he has some criteria for who he wants to give this extra ticket to Mm -hmm. and this is from the daily mail you said that's right yeah so and it's been reposted everywhere but Mm -hmm. um must be female between ages of 19 and 25 oh yeah so we can't go but you know yeah 56 year old guy wants to share his wisdom with some young lady that's okay um must keep hands and feet moisturized at all times. Oh, no. Must be okay with periodic hand-holding, perhaps during certain sensual songs and while walking into the festival initially. And obviously he wants a, a moisturized hand to hold. Yeah, of course. I mean, do you want to hold a cracked hand? I don't. Um, this is a real posting. Uh, fingernails and toenails must be nicely painted and are harmonious with general color scheme of outfit. Oh, my God. Um, You can perhaps keep your hands and feet moisturized with the lotion that you're going to put in the basket. (laughs) Um, Being social is fine, but no excessive fraternizing with other male festival goers and most definitely no public affession with other festival goers. Violation of this rule results in immediate, immediate removal from the motel room and maybe even no return ride home. And maybe immediate removal of life on this planet. Of, of your skin, yes. Yeah. Uh, periodic moments of extended eye contact. Allow me to brush your hair once a day. Not mandatory, but encouraged. He's reasonable. Oh, my God. He's like, lest you think this guy's creepy. You know, he's, he understands. Like, yeah, if you want to let me brush your hair, maybe smell it a little bit. But we'll see where the weekend takes us. Uh-huh. Um, at least twice during the festival, you must tell me in a playful manner that, quote, I am naughty. No. I swear. This is starting to read like a contract. I kind of want like, 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 we should, like, draw this up in a contract that both sides have to sign. Like, this should, you should bring this up at NAMM. Yes. Uh, ticket recipient mm-hmm. shall say I am naughty to ticket giver no yeah. less than twice. Um, at some point during the festival, you must tell me that, quote, you didn't know how this was going to go, but you're actually having a really good time. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is... Wow. See, now, if you're smart... All right, here's how you play this, okay? Is that it? No. There's a couple more. But, so, let's say you are this 22-year-old female who's trying to get a ticket to Coachella. Like, you can... There are ways that you can comply with this by minimizing the creep factor. Like, he just says you have to say these things. He doesn't say when you have to say them. So basically, the first thing you do when you arrive, just say twice, I am naughty, I am naughty. Boom, you've met that condition. Mm -hmm. And then say, I didn't know how this was going to go, but I'm having a really good time. Boom, done. You you, you met the requirements. Yeah, but there's periodic hand-holding. Well, so hold hands, like, just real quick. Maybe brush against his hand. Yeah, but it just has to be feel like it's hand holding for the term of the deal, which is the mm, event. Mm, that's tough. That's tough. He didn't say. Did he, did he? Did he make clear that it was the 
the, his hand could he could he you bring somebody else's hand like some guy who's super stoned and have him hold let's the guy's not hand? let's not bring up that option because i'm sure this guy has spare hands just <laughs> hanging about okay. okay a couple more of these um at least once during the oh god no this is the last one at least once during your stay after your shower you must use the steam to write a cute message on the bathroom mirror for me to find later when I shower. Wait a minute. It's not just a ticket. It's also accommodations. Yeah. Oh, no, no. This is all expenses paid. You get a hotel room. No. You get to drive there. He drives no. you back. No. He's going to drive you out to the plot in the desert where he has the hole. All yeah, set most, to go. Most likely, yes. This, Wow. I've never. I, How bad do you want to go to Coachella? Ladies? I mean, essentially, it should just be: Do you want to be murdered? <laughs> That's serious inquiries only. <laughs> One leukemia patients need not apply. It doesn't count. Oh yeah, no, it's got to be somebody like full of life. Yeah, yeah, whole yeah. Life ahead this, of them. this can't be a, a right to die sort of thing. Do you get to see Coachella before he murders you? Because I think there might be some people who could who'd be willing to go for that. Well, yeah, because the contract stipulates uh, things must be done in, in, at Coachella. Who's headlining? Is it even worth it? I mean, do you want to look this up? I, I, I've been told it's a pretty solid show. A lot of good acts at uh, Coachella. And uh, he says, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and as mentioned, an all-expenses-paid trip. If you think you're the one, let me know, and we can have a great time together. My name is Gordon, and I am 56 years old from West Covina. Best Gordy. It's a like, look. This isn't just this is a VIP pass for Coachella. All right, this isn't just some little thing where you're, you know, like this okay. is some serious accommodations. All right, here. it's in alphabetical order, so I have to go through and see who the big names are. Okay, there's a Beyonce. Okay, wow. Boney Vare. Wow. Uh, I'm sure maybe there's people here who are big. I don't know, but there's DJ Khaled. Wow, local guy. Empire of the Sun. That sounds familiar. Mm. Is that a movie? So that's why I'm thinking it. Future, uh, future, future. Yeah, and Rap also artists. Future Islands. I couldn't. Yeah. Aren't those guys that like had a performance on Dave Letterman or something? I don't know, like a few years ago. Uh, Gucci Mane, Hans Zimmer. That's weird. Really? Yeah. Wow. Soundtrack composer Hans Zimmer. All right. Uh, He's actually going to do none of his songs from his movies, though. He's just going to just sing, you know, Beyonce songs. Kendrick Lamar. Oh, man. This is kind of stacked. Uh, kind of might want to put on a wig and see if I can... Uh, Lord. Make this guy's dreams come true. Lord. Lord, wow. Yeah. She's uh, back. Yeah. Randy's back. <laughs> Randy Marsh is back. Yeah. Yes. I am Lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, this n None of this is worth uh, dying for. Not for you. Yeah. But... Oh, well, well ch change the formula, okay? Tennis? There's a band called Tennis? Like, this isn't doing it for you because you're not the audience for Coachella. But now, make yourself a 22-year-old girl, okay? But all the other same characteristics about you are there, okay? But you meet his demographic requirements. And now, instead of Coachella, it is a festival with, like, every metal band you've ever loved like and seriously th and they're gonna pay yes david oh my god that's like literally like the best thing i've ever heard and they're gonna play every song you like and it's vip so there's probably meet and greets happening 
I get to meet like Metallica and everything. That's and right. Like, Ozzy Osbourne. Yes, but the only condition is shut you up, have Ryan. to you have to do all the stuff in here. Ryan, shut up. Shut up. <laughs> no, that's horrifying. You still wouldn't do it? No, dude. Really? No. <laughs> no. 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 Right. No. 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 Let's hope he doesn't kill us. Yes. Did you say they, they took down that? Post? Yes, he took it down, <laughs> but not before the entire internet transcribed it yeah that sounds weird <laughs> that's and I, no i would not even yeah for all the metal in the world i would not do that i would not do that ryan oh yes now, now it's time for today's metal minute on the break the business podcast that's right metal dave back in studio yeah that uh, guy gordo over there uh, you'd think that would be a story actually Dave would have for Dave, Metal Dave, whatever Dave's Metal Minute. Yeah. Uh, no. No? No. You that don't, goes you don't up, endorse this Metal Dave? That goes above and beyond, and that is beyond the pale. Um, no, it, it, that guy would not even be welcome into the legions of hell. Wow. By, by the Morning Star himself. No. It, that guy's just a, a, a weirdo, man. And again, I, we probably shouldn't have broadcasted where we stu- where we do the, stu- uh, the show from. <laughs> that could be problematic, yes. Right, we we got to watch out whenever we're in West Covina. <laughs> oh, that would have been time to hit it with a tag. Oh, sorry. Well, good to have you here, Metal Dave. You were here last week, too. I'm glad to you know continue uh, having you stop by. Yeah. First bit of news. Right, apparently, remember my story I said last week about uh, Metal Hammer magazine? Yeah, they were going bankrupt. It was really sad. Yeah, we had a moment of metal silence. Yes, which wasn't really silent. You just yelled. Exactly. (laughs) Guess what, Ryan? What? They're broke! Awesome! That's fantastic news! I, I... The rumors of their death had been greatly exaggerated, I take it? They have risen from the grave like a phoenix, flaming and eternal, shining and chrome. Oh, how nice. Good reference. What? How nice. That's it. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, they were uh, apparently bought out by Future Publishing earlier this month. To publish them in the future. <laughs> and they have, they say, we we are pleased to say that Metal Hammer has officially been given the green light to continue making the biggest and best heavy music magazine in the world. Stay tuned for a very special comeback issue coming next month. It's going to be epic. Trust us. I don't think they said it just like that. You might have. Ryan, it's Metal Hammer. They hammer your brain with metal! So they're not even missing a beat. They're getting right back in publishing right next week, so there's no interruption in service. And Exactly. And that's good, because considering that they're your only source for metal news for Days Metal Minute... Uh, that's not true. Yeah, I what? have my demon friends every once in a while. Take care of it. Buzzfeedius. <laughs> and Huffington Post. Most unholy alliances. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear it. I was really worried about that. Yes. All right. Now, right. Middle Dave has made no secret of his 
disdain. Wait, are you doing a new story? You're supposed to. You have a. You have a transition for this. Are you telling me what to do? No, sir. No, definitely not. But I'm just saying. Usually, you say like next bit of news. Silence, Ryan. Next bit of news. There on we my, go. On my own volition, I wanted to do that, not because you told you're me. You're to. absolutely right. I could never tell you what to do, Metal Dave. <laughs> you cannot. Let me pull out uh, the story on Metal Safari. <laughs> Be a good name for a magazine. Actually, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Although safari is in seeing the animals, we do not condone hunting animals and endangered species in Africa or anywhere across the world. Don't be a jagoff. I like your public service announcements. <laughs> the more you meddle. <laughs> oh. And meddle is half the battle. Oh, sorry. Got a little sloppy there. G.I. Right. Metal. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody gets that. Okay. All right. Oh, okay. I mean, <laughs> Riot. <laughs> yes. We know I do not like the Grammys. That's, I. The yeah. Grammys are. Sorry. I, we're, man, we're really out of rhythm today, Metal Dave. I blame you. <laughs> okay. The Grammys are not metal. They have. All these other bands and singers, and it's a giant just love pop fest of Justin Bieberdom. It makes me sick. That's yeah, no, I, I can imagine. Why, like, there's only a few metal categories at the Grammys, so I could see why that doesn't appeal to you, Metal Dave. But apparently, a curveball's been thrown Metal Dave's way. Oh, is that right? Metallica has been invited to perform at this year's Grammys. Whoa! So on the awards telecast on Sunday, February 12th this year, they're going to be on stage performing! Now that's cool. So does that mean Metal Dave is actually going to watch the Grammys? I mean, that portion, yes. So you're, go you're going to tune in, watch it, and then immediately switch off? Yeah, Middle Dave doesn't need to see Toby Keith or Taylor Swift or, uh, or you know, uh, what, what, Fetty Wap or Ray Shrummond or whatever that frig is going on with names these days. <laughs> what was that last one? Ray Shrummond? Yeah, apparently it's drummer's ear backward. <laughs> Learned that in China. No shit. <laughs> Ray R-A-E. Yeah. S. R. Silence! Okay. I don't even know that. Anyway, is. they performed three years ago with the Chinese concert pianist Long Long, if you remember that one. I do. That, that was, was a good pretty one. cool. Yeah. But that, so they say, we have something very unique and special planned for this celebratory night. So tune in to watch on CBS. We've had some great televised performances, whether it's with a piano. They, they did, I think they did, didn't they do like an MTV Video Music Awards with a full orchestra? And they, they do some cool stuff. Are you talking about the SNM album with the San Francisco Symphony? Yes, but they performed live with them at, on, at one of these televised award shows. Moving on, Ryan. We're going to be watching Metallica on the Grammys and probably not much else. We're going to watch as they beat the audience and the broadcast and the awards and the fires of hell and the blood of the unbelievers. You've heard it here first. Metal Dave is telling you to watch the Grammys in their entirety, he is a full supporter of the Grammys. You shall be one of the unbelievers sacrificed. Unbelievers? 
Oh, you bastard. <laughs> That's cool. I'm excited for that. I, I like to see some genre diversity at the Grammys. Like when it's, when it's all pop artists, it's not as fun. So that's good. I'm excited for that. Last bit of news. Ooh, one more. All right. Although this really, I wouldn't qualify this as like as a news story, more as a, a fun little thing I found on, uh, on Nerdist from Twitter. Okay. Pop-Tarts, Ryan. What about them? Metal Dave. Well, apparently, right, there is a uh, this graphic designer, Newt Cloninger Clements, that likes to have fun with products. And uh, before he he created these uh, pop tarts for Halloween, like he just did them sort of graphically about like in the Universal monster horror genre. Or no, he did it for Happy Meals. He did like a Happy Meal for uh, for like Halloween with toys though of like uh, monster movies and zombies and all that. Okay. And apparently he's a uh, there's been Star Wars Pop-Tarts, Spider-Man Pop-Tarts, even Hello Kitty Meowberry Pop-Tarts. He decided... Those are your favorites. <laughs> Gotta love the Meowberries from hell. Do you know how many Pop-Tarts come in those packages? Oh, is it... It's eight, right? 666! Oh, of course. Of course. How, how, how did I miss that? Anytime it's a how many question, it's... Oh. Anyway, I'm off my game. He created Pop Tarts with Friday the Thirteenth logos, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, Alien, Saw, all these things. Here, look. You oh see my them? God! Yeah, there's so many of them. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, Saw. There's Chucky and Scream and, woo. Yeah, Metal Dave thinks that the Kel- the good people at Kellogg's should manufacture these horrifying, bloody, gore Pop Tarts. No, sorry. Right? Do you know what flavor they're going to be? No, I don't. Blood. Of course. Do you know what's going to provide the flavor of blood? What? Blood. Oh, God. How am I so bad at this? Apparently, Kellogg's, I, I, this is also, uh, I read somewhere that Kellogg's, their, their flavor representative is a man named Gordon from West Covina, and apparently he's really good at supplying them with all the blood for this. <laughs> Nicely done, Metal Dave. If I didn't know you were listening in the previous segment. If you if you live in the West Covina area, area, uh, don't. <laughs> All right. All right, buddy. That's it. I'm gonna take off. I got a I got a wedding to go to. So, uh, Metal Dave's got to see if he can metal the shit out of that place. Oh, awesome. All right. Our thanks to you, Metal Dave. Our thanks to Doctor Portia Saban for joining us, and our thanks to you for listening to the Break the Business podcast. Mm-hmm.